Welcome to the Padang Sessions, an audio archive of lectures, panels, and conversations from National Gallery Singapore. Join us as we chart the art of Southeast Asia and beyond, one voice at a time. In this episode, we revisit a walking tour by artist Elwin Ramillo in conversation with Gallery Senior Curator Shaber Hussein Mustafa. Titled Walking with Elwin, this tour examined works by Filipino artists Juan Luna, Felix Hidalgo, and Victor Edades through the narratives of nation and identity. Rumilo also spoke about the influence of figures in Philippine art history on his own artistic practice. This program was recorded live in January 2020 at National Gallery Singapore. This is a this is a grand turnout, um, and uh, well, Alvin, I, Tam, Mariel, all of us quite excited. Um, let me just begin by uh, quickly saying, uh, or perhaps saying a few words about our wonderful speaker today, uh, who I'm sure is not a stranger to most of us. Um, but also a quick note uh, to share about this format, um, because. Uh, We've been talking uh, quite a bit internally in terms of how we can go about developing newer formats in terms of reaching out uh, to the public. And uh, we very soon realized that at the heart of it are artists' perspectives. And artists are not just as makers and purveyors of the aesthetic or at times uh, aestheticized object, but really as thinkers, as historians, as, as individuals who who try to figure things out as well. And uh, as a result, we've come up with this idea, which for the moment we're going to call Walking with Alvin, <laughs> uh, because literally uh, our usual in-gallery sessions, we sit down, uh, but this time around we're going to walk. And as we walk, um, I'll, I'll also try and prompt, uh, mm -hmm. if not ask a few questions from Alvin, but really he's going to speak. Uh, but before that, uh, if you just grant me maybe two or three minutes, I'd, I'd love to have the pleasure to introduce somebody. Um, I perhaps wanted to start with an anecdote. When I met him, uh, it was 2008. It was a warm, warm day in Manila. And uh, I visited the Vargas Museum inside the University of Philippines. And uh, Boots Herrera, the, 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 the director, curator at the time, said, you need to go and see somebody who is in the basement. And I went down, and Alvin had longer hair at the time, and uh, he was working on his grand piano project, uh, a project uh, which I think uh, was, was, was quite informative uh, for, for me, uh, partly because it was not just trying to understand the piano as a device, but it was also attempting to bring individuals together and right at the heart of it, and it was a word that I was quite curious about at that time, and I continue to be quite curious about, was this phrase, the crafts, and the craftsman. And it seems Alvin was enacting this huge archaeology mm -hmm. around the craftsman, because you were tracking all these individuals, you know, who were piano makers, who were thinking about the crafts, who had for various reasons, life, huh? circumstances, politics, history, had somehow entered a different state, right? They were no longer craftsmen, I suppose, and you were trying to bring these individuals in. But at the heart of it, you were also thinking about 
containers, right? And what do containers tell us? You know, are containers fillers? Are they empty? What really is the role? And I continue to follow Alvin's work. We would meet from time to time, have wonderful conversations, and then kind of go our separate ways. And I remember I saw you again sometime in 2011, or was it 2012? I think we met in between, but yeah. I, I, I remember this conversation because you had also started to think about Jose Rizal. And Rizal, uh, on the one hand, as a 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 hero of the Philippines, uh, but also in terms of thinking about the contradictions, right, that go into this. And mm -hmm. and Rizal, uh, I I soon discovered was a figure you had been interested in since the mid 1980s when you were living in Baguio. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you know when uh, when the opportunity arose, I think. Uh, uh, Tam and I, being uh, clever bureaucrats that we are, we are very good at paperwork, um, <laughs> uh, we decided to, to, to kind of jump on the opportunity to, to hear you speak um, and really uh, try and, and, and understand what Rizal means, right? And, and, and the contradictions that go with it. I, I, was, I was just thinking about a figure, but I'll come back to that later. He's, a, he's an alter ego of yours, which I'm sure uh. you will talk about in a little while. But uh, we'll, we'll come to that. But without much further ado, please join me in welcoming the wonderful Alvin Ramita. Uh. Thank you, Mustafa. Thank you, everyone. Uh, these are, uh, I prepared like my own kind of versions and, and, and stories about the works. Uh, as an artist, I've always been interested in stories and also history, which is kind of a, uh, a kind of story. Uh, sometimes they become official stories of uh, maybe power or, but I'm interested in maybe the multiplicities of stories, that stories need to be retold you know, over and over again and maybe change from time to time. So we start with uh, the painting of uh, Fabian de la Rosa, which as the uh, didactic panel says, was a copy of a painting originally painted by Juan Luna. So it's just fascinating to, to see how images that represent Rizal as the symbol of the nation, you know, um, and how this replication is kind of uh, permeates uh, different uh, aspects of Philippine life. The, the image has been repainted by other artists and uh, I brought with me probably my first encounter with Rizal. When I was a kid, we were all taught in primary school to be like the hero, you know, emulate his qualities and, you know, love for country, all these values. Uh, we were, um, and I, I remember I even fashioned a hair, my hair was like the Rizal wave. <laughs> So, uh, but my first encounter with Rizal was actually the matchbox, which uh, it's a kitchen implement uh, that not many people use anymore because of the new ignition uh, system for uh, gas ranges. Um, but Rizal, they still sell this, uh, but probably the use of the matchbox would uh, take place or, or would be found in, in rural areas where electricity still is uh, kind of a, uh, uh, not yet uh, uh, built. So um, as an artist, uh, 
my, I think the one memory that I had uh, really with, with the Rizal Matchbox was a childhood memory when I was seven years old um, because my father was a piano maker and I was allowed to play in the piano workshop. Um, and one day I discovered matches. So those matches had Rizal in them. Uh, so I was flicking these matches in the varnish section of the, the workshop, which of course you're surrounded with volatile, flammable materials. And my dad saw me and that, uh, uh, oh, that was an experience of uh, punishment uh, for, for being naughty. Uh, the image of this uh, matchbox also has been replicated in that piano project that is now in the collection of uh, Singapore Art Museum. Uh, but the significance of Rizal uh, as a matchbox and, and in contrapuntal to um, him as this uh, iconic image, iconic hero of the Philippines with a monument in, in the center of Manila that marks the kind of uh, zero point of, of uh, uh, that you know, from this from this center. Uh, but Rizal, if we uh, think about his writings today, I think his uh, two novels still um, show the, the the basic, probably ills and and contradictions of Philippine society. I often imagine if we had maybe in our political leadership maybe just ten thousand results. And among the Filipinos who, who would love their country, probably we can be in a better place uh, at this point in time. Uh, the Philippines is also kind of undergoing a kind of uh, resurgence of authoritarian rule. And if Rizal was back today, he would probably be the first to, to, to speak up through his art, through his uh, writing. Uh, yeah. Uh, interesting painting because again it is a copy so there's this uh, replication of uh, imagery that, that informs or animate the, the, the story of the nation uh, kind of a uh, we need these images to to have our you know uh, sense of of this modern nation but sometimes I also think that this is kind of an illusion, because if we see the actual contradictions in Philippine society, I don't think we have really uh, 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 decolonized ourselves or got rid of the excesses of uh, the legacies of colonialism. We still have that mindset. We still have the influence of big institutions that uh, I think debilitate the, the progress of the Philippines. Singapore is also site of a large diaspora of Philippine workers. A lot of them uh, work on, on many levels, you know, uh, domestic helpers, uh, architects, people in the IT. But these are also kind of reflective of the loss of the, 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 the brain drain in the Philippines because they could be actually in the Philippines and, and help. Rizal came back after his long sojourn in Europe you know, he was a polymath and he understood, he learned a lot from, I think from the French Revolution and translated those ideas into those two novels. Uh, but I wish Rishal, with this matchbox, can ignite again that, that light. They were part of the group of Filipino expats at the time called the Ilustrados, the Enlightened Ones. 
and I hope the, the matches can be reanimated and, and lit so people can see with clarity. We are already in the year 2020. Uh, Rizal was also trained as an ophthalmologist, mm. so it meant like clarity of vision, the understanding of, of what's happening in Philippine society and also connecting it with what's happening with the wider world. We move to the violinist. <laughs> Is that enough time? Of course. Oh, course. Great. I'll just get. Uh, I will alert you when. when sorry. Oh, yeah. uh, Filipino patriots at uh, the beginning of the uh, imagination, reimagination of the nation were mostly uh, writers. They were writers. Uh, some were visual artists, uh, but I would like to reimagine, this is another work by Juan Luna. I think the family, uh, Luna's family, were uh, a lot of them were musicians. I think the brother, Manuel, was a violinist. There was a sister who played the piano. And, and so the family was, uh, they were middle class. So they had the uh, opportunity to learn how to play those instruments. Um, so I, I would, um, although this was painted in, 1876, you know, Oluna was already an adult, but I reimagined this work as a portrait of Manuel, the, I'm not sure if it's a younger brother, but he was a accomplished uh, violinist. There was also another brother, uh, Antonio, who later become, became the uh, general in the Philippine Revolutionary Army on the second phase of the war, because the history of the Philippines was a kind of a a continuing history of, of occupation. So from the 1898, the, there was the Declaration of Philippine Independence, short-lived um, declaration. Only a few, few months later, uh, the American forces kind of uh, took over. And so there was this uh, 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 signing of the Treaty of Paris of 1898. 1899, uh, which seceded the Philippines' uh, sovereignty to, to the United States for, and then there was a 20 million that was paid to, to, uh, to the Spanish government. There was also that uh, mock bat battle that happened because uh, the involvement of the United States was triggered by the, uh, the Cuban War. So America and, and uh, Spain was at war. And because of that, the Asiatic fleet from Hong Kong was sent over to Manila to take over the city. But during that time, the Filipino revolutionaries already occupied the city of Manila. And uh, uh, I think to save face, the uh, Spanish government at the time uh, had a deal with the American forces and uh, did this mock, mock battle and surrendered the uh, the, the, uh, the country to, to the United States. Thus, the continuation of the, the struggle. I think the Philippine revolutionaries at the time were already tired and ill-equipped. And of course, the coming of the American forces fresh from, you know, from the mainland with all the new equipment. So I think that, that, but that, that war, uh, I think, extended till 1907. But officially, it, uh, it, the, the war with the Philippine revolutionaries were uh, 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 officially stopped uh, in 1902. 
Uh, do you have water? <laughs> anyway, I, I, I'm fascinated with this idea of, of um, uh, Philippine patriots uh, who are mostly writers and visual artists, but I, I would like to conjure a, a different uh, take, you know. I just have uh, been drying up. Thank you. So I, I did a, I'm, I've been doing kind of deconstructions of uh, uh, photos, historical photos of patriots. So in this, in this work, which is also a matchbox, uh, I, I look at the matchbox really as Mustafa was saying about uh, vessels. So this, these are like kind of a retablos, I call retablos, that are also vessels of memory. Uh, but this is a deconstructed one, a kind of a, a copy, but it's also a fictionalized version. Uh, Rizal was a writer, but he, I think he, he, he was stone deaf, I mm. think. So he never uh, was into music. He, he knew a lot of things. He was very, uh, he was a kind of a, this idea of the universal man. But I think he, he, he's not very good with music. But he did wrote one Kondiman piece. Uh, Kondiman is a Tagalog, a musical form, traditional form, and wrote this one, one uh, 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 musical piece. Um, the photo is actually, the original photo are the three patriots, uh, Jose Rizal, Marcelo H. Del Pilar, who was the uh, editor of the uh, propaganda paper in Spain called La Solidaridad, the Solidarity. And you have uh, Mariano Ponce, Seated, but no piano. This, this is my take on, on this transformation, uh, reflection on maybe if we have like musicians, the, the dynamics of, of, uh, of uh, uh, forming this, this nation would, would have been different. Uh, it's kind of a, a whimsical take on, on that, but uh, I think it also stems from my own connection with the, that piano on, on that, that, uh, that's linked to that uh, childhood memory. Yeah. Uh, and then Mariano Ponce is quite an interesting figure um, because he, at, at the middle stage of the War of Independence, he was uh, the emissary of the Philippines to Japan, later married a Japanese uh, lady, but in that time when they were trying to secure arms to continue with the, uh, with the uh, struggle against you know, the American forces, he met uh, Sun Yat-sen. Mm -hmm. So they have a photograph with Sun Yat-sen, with him uh, dressed in a kimono, and Sun Yat-sen dressed in a traditional Western suit. Uh, that meeting was quite, I think, important because it also showed the connection of the national uh, uh, liberation movement in, in uh, China, which uh, uh, I think they even agreed on supporting each other's uh, 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 struggle. There was a promise of a shipment of arms that would be loaned to, to Sun Yat-sen, but unfortunately this shipment uh, was lost at sea because of a typhoon. So, uh, so that never transpired. Uh, but they continued the project of, of uh, 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 being independent, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
What's if, the next if there one? are other questions, I, yeah. I, 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 perhaps I can I can trigger a, a, yeah. a quick question because you mentioned uh, 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 that Risa uh, is also an ophthalmologist, and, and, and that is of course obviously this connection to sight. Um, but also, uh, perhaps to get you to speak a little bit about the medical references uh, in his writings, because uh, the first novel is called uh, uh, Cancer. Yes. You know, the English translation, Noli So, want to just comment? So, Noli, noli Metangere is mm. the Latin phrase, I think a biblical phrase, uh, when Christ was uh, resurrected, and then the story of Thomas, who uh, who was doubting that he came back from the dead. And then I think they had an encounter. And uh, Christ said, you know, uh, I think, uh, you know, it refers to touching of the wound, you know. So, nolimitanga, I am not very sure the exact meaning of the word, but that, that I think connects to that biblical story. Uh, yeah, Rizal was uh, interested uh, to be, well, he became an ophthalmologist, studied in the University of Heidelberg because of the, his motivation to fix the eye problem of his mother. Mm. The mother also was uh, his first teacher. And um, he tells of the story also of the moth, which was uh, from a Spanish children's book. The, the story of the moth is a kind of an allegorical story of uh, the mother moth warning the baby moth not to get close to the flame of a lamp. and. Uh, Many historians say that this was actually what happened in, in Rizal's life because he saw the, with clarity uh, the flame and, and that kind of, he got close to it. So it was like probably the, the flame of the revolution and him being the victim, you know, he burnt his wings like in the story. Uh, the social cancer also talks about the uh, peering into the uh, the, the body politic of the Philippines. So he saw the, all the social ills, as I mentioned earlier. If we are to re read Rizal's novels today, uh, we can see the main characters, the protagonists in the story. You still have the state, you still have the, uh, the church, you still have the intellectuals, the revolutionaries, the philosophers, and these are all animated in, in, in the novels. Uh, the second novel, El Filibusterismo, the filibuster uh, was kind of a, I don't know if Rizal really wanted to pursue the, uh, uh, or imagine the, the real kind of uh, separation or maybe, uh, you know, uh, uh, removing uh, the, the colonial yoke. Because many scholars also say that Rizal was uh, basically a reformist. He wasn't interested in independence but just a kind of uh, recognition from Spain that the you know, Filipinos are equal with, with the Spaniards. Uh, uh, he, there, was, uh, some, there was some kind of records that he actually recanted the writings before his execution. Uh, but some, some scholars say that it was a, a fake manuscript that the Spanish friars signed. And this, this document was written in whole, but it wasn't signed. So, so there's just a doubt now whether the veracity of this uh, document. Uh, it, it says in that document that, you know, I remain to be Catholic, I, I want to remain, you know, which was very different from his life's work.
So, so yeah. And maybe one follow-up, uh, since we're still on the topic of, of, of this army. So around 2011, 2012, uh, as his 150th uh, birth anniversary celebrations were picking up uh, across the Philippines, uh, you, 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 you embark on a project. I think it already started 2005, right, in anticipation mm -hmm. of the birth anniversary. Um, and, and, and you created a figure, uh, a figure who, who, who was, I mean, I described him as an alter ego. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, perhaps you look at it differently, and I'm going to try and read his name here, Anulfo Tikbang. Um, can you want to talk about, a little bit about him? Uh, as, the, as... The, the persona Arnulfo Tikbang uh, was a character that I uh, kind of developed in uh, in 1987 when oh, I had my first solo show. Uh, it was also a tribute to my father who passed on in, in 1985. So the whole show was hinged on the memory of the father. And also, I think there were three personas in that in the title of the show. Uh, it's, it was called at ang bulung bulungang dekahon ni Mang Imo, uh, Budangwayan, and Arnulfo Tikbang. So Mang Imo was my father. This was the same title of the piano that's in the collection of at Sam. Uh, Arnulfo Tikbang and Budangwayan are split personas of. I think I think when you encounter kind of a tragic death of a loved one there it, it breaks also the, the self so just looking back i don't use arnulfo tikbang much anymore but this was that split um uh in 1985 i uh was part of the asean youth painting workshop where i met my first uh, singaporean friends and then on the way back this was my first trip overseas but this also occurred uh I think a week after my uh, my dad was buried, so uh, this idea of of my first trip overseas and also a loss of a loved one is kind of a very interesting time because you kind of reflect on many things uh, and traveling on my own. And I remember my dad also telling me or uh, confident in in my capacity to you know as a young person to to take public transport, you know, in Manila and, you know, like 12 years old. So he, he believed that I'm, I'm, I was capable of that. So I reading through the Rizal narrative and trying to fashion yourself, picture yourself as a result. So it, it is a kind of an alter ego. Uh, and I try to, maybe if we can aspire to be like this great person. So, but, but this is uh, sometimes, deal with deviations, you know, uh, of the persona. Uh, when I do the narrative of the nation, uh, I, there is the basis, you know, like historical records and, and you know, fixed, fixed narratives. But I like to challenge also those uh, fixing of narratives. As I said, we need to repeat and, and retell the stories, but maybe find the smaller stories than the, and, than the and, and, and look at, and compare this with the grand narratives of nation. I think power operates when everything's kind of uniform and, and fixed. But if we are able to re, re, uh, find new meanings or new ways of looking at it, 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 it involves uh, active, 
an active uh, rethinking of, of the narrative. And, uh, and then I think it, 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 um, it allows us to be, to be really, you know, uh, be, be, be active citizens, you know, and question things that are, uh, you know, that, that kind of uh, uh, move people in society. You know. so, uh, so one, one question. Disrupting the status quo, right? Mm -hmm. Becoming active agents. You're trained as a painter. Mm -hmm. uh, you continue to paint, albeit in, a, in an altered form. Uh, so coming back to the, this moment oh, yes. in history, right? uh, and perhaps we could move to the, 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 the paintings at the back. Yes. But perhaps it'll be interesting to hear your thoughts, Alvin, on, 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 on the potency of the painted image. Right? And, okay. and whether it mattered. I actually forgot to mention that yeah. I was in a group exhibition in 2007 mm. uh, uh, in, at the um, Lopez Memorial Museum where this painting was originally, uh, you know, is this loan? It, it, is, still, it is still in the still, Lopez So it was loaned. So <laughs> the title of the exhibition was called uh, Dime a Dozen. Okay. So again, it looks into that replication of the iconic image and how it really kind of, uh, how, how, how the real value of these images are. Because some can argue that uh, Luna's paintings were not that great. He was painting in the academic European style. And if you're into decolonizing yourself, you have to address the materiality and the technology of, of what you're doing. So some say, uh, that he wasn't great, but he was a political activist. And, and because he also won at some one point the uh, Bellas Artes Exposition in, in uh, was it in Madrid? So he became probably the first international Filipino because he had that reputation. He, he was first uh, uh, and ahead of Rizal uh, if, if, this, uh, if that was of value, right? Um, so I remember in this work, I used 12 uh, works of Luna in the exhibition. And this had a copy of a uh, digital print on tarpaulin. And then I remember using mud crab shells and transferring the image on, on the shells. Mm. Uh, uh, crabs in Latin are also cancer. So I, I, I often think about uh, national ideology can be both uh, liberating if you are under uh, colonialism, but it can be as oppressive as the, the colonizers thought. So I, I use cancer in, in or, or the idea of the, the crabs, you know, uh, uh, camouflaging itself and, and inhabiting the, uh, the, the work, the painting. Um, there was a jawbone, I think, mm. for some strange reason. I don't know why I use a jawbone but there's a jawbone and lots of detritus in the painting. Uh, but the main face was actually covered uh, half of the face and had a fraction of the portrait. So I, I look at it as uh, the whole show as kind of animated by these things. Um, but it also uh, questions the, the real value of the artistic value of the work. Uh, I couldn't really intervene in the actual painting, but only do it kind of a diptych on the side. Uh, <laughs> I remember one, uh, one similar, because we're talking about copies. This is the copy of 
uh, uh, Fabian de la Rosa mm. copying the portrait of Juan Luna. So in the Lopez Museum, they also have a copy of the portrait, self-portrait of Juan Luna, painted by a student. Uh, I think the surname was O'Farrell, was an Irish uh, Irishman. Um, and my proposal in Dime a Dozen was to switch the, the paintings, because I felt the, the image had an iconic power. But of course, it is a copy. And I'm doing a copy, and I wanted the copy to be, you know, uh, on top and the copy of uh, O'Farrell underneath, but turning it upside down. Of course, the uh, owners of the, the Lopez family uh, raised their eyebrows and you cannot do it. So we had a, a, a talk about the, the, the real value because museums also validate the value of art, you know, through its history, through its research and, you know, uh, but sometimes, you know, we also need to question the kind of framing uh, that institutions have over works. Can I do a follow-up on that? Sure. Yeah, the, um, so the Spanish uh, iconographic style of, 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 of Spanish painting and of the, the realist style of coming from Spain. And you're, what you're doing is a kind of iconographic but also semiotic take. On, on that by, you know, with the crabs and using linguistic uh, techniques of, of, of adapting and, and commenting. Um, I mean, how, and, and then in your matchbox uh, and many of your other works, you continue this Spanish um, realist style. So, so I'm wondering if you want to comment on that at all. Um, I think, I think, uh the impact of Spanish colonialism is still very much with us. I mean, we are still the largest Catholic country in, in Asia or, or in the region. And I think the ideology that's uh, been existing, the dominant ideologies, are still there. And it's, uh, it's an ideology that uh, allows patriarchy to, you know, so we have this and, and I, I guess like authoritarianism or fascism, if you like, uh, is always a, a legacy of colonialism because it structured society in a particular way. And it's pyramidical at the moment. And it's so difficult to really, you know, uh, level this, this structure because of that ideologies. Um, at the moment, we are experiencing that resurgence of authoritarian rule. Uh, we, last year, they were celebrating the 50th year of the Cultural Center of the Philippines. Uh, and just a week ago, the, the present management of the CCP invited Mrs. Marcos and family to be the guest of honor. And they were even using the uh, the, the situation in Taal Volcano in Batangas as a fundraiser, but really the current government now has basically allowed the slow, uh, uh, in, uh, uh, the slow return of the Marcoses to the palace. Hmm. Uh, so, which, which I guess, if we are more uh, politically and culturally and socially aware we can see that uh, maybe people should uh, be more proactive and, and respond, you know. Uh, mm. Fascism works when people keep quiet, 
you know, and, uh, but I, I believe that uh, things are also changing. Uh, the explosion will be taken as a metaphor and, and for people. We, we saw in the last few days or last week of the, uh, how ineffective government is in responding to the disaster. But we also find people uh, on the ground helping others. There are people all over uh, the surrounding provinces who are helping people. Uh, 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 donating masks or, or doing donating clothes and they even uh, made fun of all the clothes that uh, were being donated and did the fashion fashion parade you know just to uh, I think it's a way of uh, coping with with the, uh, with the with the disaster yeah did I answer that <laughs> yes <laughs> maybe we go to this uh, yeah let's, let's yeah. oh sorry I, I, I was uh, looking at the work last night mm. and I found it interesting because this painting was made, so Luna also made copies of this uh, painting called uh, España y Filipinas. So this kind of symbolizes uh, Spain on the left and then uh, the Philippines on the right. And then it's pointing to the horizon and there's a sun in the horizon. Uh, but I, it occurred to me last night that probably this painting uh, was a very important image in the, uh, in the conjuring or, or the reimagination of the Philippine flag, which was the symbol of the nation. Because the flag has the Philippine flag, if you're familiar with it, has a red field on the left and a blue field on the right. There's a, a, a triangle, white triangle which was symbol of the Katipunan. The Katipunan was the actual movement, uh, armed movement that, uh, that was waged after Rizal was executed. Um, and then of course the sun, and then the three stars, uh, which represented the three main island groupings in the Philippines. So I, I imagine this was what the revolutionaries were looking at, at this painting made by Juan Luna. I don't know what the conversations were, but uh, this, this got translated. Although in the actual document of the Act of the Declaration of Independence, it had a different narrative in there. Um, because instead of like, sim, uh, when, we, when I was growing up, the red was for nobility and courage and blue, uh, sorry, blue is for nobility and red was for courage. But then I came across the uh, document of the, I don't know if I have a habit here, but in the actual document of the declaration, hmm. the, the colors were attributed actually to the colors of the United States. <laughs> because at the time, Emilio Aguinaldo, uh, the initial engagement with the United States was, the US was there to help liberate the Philippines from Spanish uh, rule. And then later, the uh, there was a, 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 a change in, you know, in, 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 in what happened because uh, the United States at the, at the time, I think, saw the opportunity of the Philippines as a young emerging power. They saw the uh, Philippines and the other Spanish colonies uh, as an opportunity to uh, establish coaling stations. And these coaling stations are 
key to access the markets of China and Japan. So later on in our history, the Philippines became the host of the two largest military installations in the world, during, which played a significant role during the Cold War and Vietnam War. Mm. Uh, and, and of course, the uh, patrolling of the what you call the uh, Pacific Lake. Uh, um, so it's all tied up again to, to the symbol of the flag. What does it mean? Um, and then uh, later designs of the nation in the coat of arms still has the uh, Iberian shield. Mm. And then you have the, the two color fields. But like I think even during Marcos time, the 70s, the, the red actually had the, um, what you call it, the uh, Iberian lion. And then the uh, blue had the American eagle. So this is the symbol of the nation, the independent nation, the republic, which still maintains the, the colonial symbols. And I guess it, it, it's, it's like that, you know. Nation states or nations are basically 19th century inventions. Sure. Before that, there were all uh, boundaries were kind of uh, porous, you know. And, and we create this idea of nation. I guess it's, it's, uh, it's to contain and to control, you know. Uh, populations. Um, yeah, so I also used this painting in that Dime a Dozen show, which had a mirror copy on the floor, same scale, mm. also printed on tarpaulin. And then this one had a full mound of crabs just scampering around the, uh, the flowers. And you know. so this one was easier because we didn't have barriers, so you can actually step on the, the painting. Well, you were, you were uh, not I think they allowed, they allowed me to do that. You were uh, not permitted to put it on the painting no, itself. No. <laughs> I, I was trying hard to, uh, you know, even just hanging it just in close proximity to the surface. But again, you know, it's a precious work. It's an important historical work. But again, so as an artist, I also question uh, those, those kind of uh, valuation on, on artworks, on, on the nation, on symbols of the nation. Yeah. Um, so, uh, also, this painting is. I, I, I read that it was had many versions. So, yes. But but yeah, had the same kind of uh, composition of the stairs and yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm wondering whether you want to take a couple more questions yeah. uh, from. So yeah. Yes. Can I just ask you about the juxtaposition? Are these two paintings meant to be displayed like this? Is there a conversation going on? I, I, I'm not sure what the, uh, the curators, mm. um, when I first encountered it, uh, I don't know if this is also part of the Lopez collection. No, this is in the National Gallery's collection. Right. Yeah. But so it's painted two years earlier. Earlier. So this is before. probably one of the first versions of, of the work. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure of, of the. Um, yeah. Yeah. So about six. You think there's maybe up to six versions of this? Six. There's one in the Prado collection, which is actually twice the size. Mm -hmm. um, we were able to borrow the Lopez work um, for a solo exhibition a couple of years ago, and they had left it with us as a long term loan. So it was a great opportunity to see two, two versions of the same thing. But they were painted for different commissions. The thing with all these artists, Luna and Fabian de la Rosa, they are kind of intertwined, really. I mean, even in kind of related to each other. When we go to the Amor Solo, uh, 
it actually, I just found out that uh, Amor Solo was the uh, nephew of Fabian de la Rosa. And I think Fabian de la Rosa was also related to Simon Flores, wow. who was a much older, you know, this all family kind of, uh, uh, which I guess it's part of uh, our st still ongoing feudal culture, you know. So art yeah, royalty. Yeah, 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 art royalty. Yeah. So, do you want to go to the Amar Solo? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so we're going to move into the next gallery. So just just follow Alvin. Thanks. Thank you. Is it okay with time? Okay. So this uh, this work by uh, Fernando Marsolo, it's called Fish, Fish Pond in Malabon, it was painted in 1942. Um, Marsolo, as I said earlier, is related to Fabian de la Rosa, who was also the first Filipino head of school of the UP College of Fine Arts, uh, School of Fine Arts, which was one of the three, um, I think, uh, units when the University of the Philippines was established by the Americans in 1908. So, but the uh, was part of this uh, generation of painters who were doing all these landscapes and portraits in a very lyrical way. But uh, some of the artists at the period were saying that Amarsolo was successful because of his uh, he was interested in really, um, what do you call it, uh, depicting this uh, beautiful sceneries of Filipino landscape. Sorry. Uh, at the time when, I think in the 1940s, there was a war, or I mean, uh, a peasant uh, revolt brewing in the central, in central Philippines. Uh, and yet, he was also uh, uh, teaching advertising. So he was, got lots of commission to doing a lot of the illustrations for many of the colonial books that was being uh, published at the time. Uh, so this painting, I grew up uh, uh, quite familiar with this kind of landscapes because this, the reproduction of this can also be seen, you know, like, like with the result matchbox. It permeates everything. Uh, Filipinos have the, the jeepney. And often, I, I, uh, you see this kind of paintings on the first jeepneys, well, at least in the 60s when I was growing up. They were hand-painted. Lots of jeepneys had images of you know, the idyllic landscape or the Mayon volcano, which was similar to, this is Salas work. This is Salas work. So they have a similar configuration. So. The Mayon is also like a very iconic uh, image in the Philippines. So this, this uh, uh, inhabit the, the layers of the jeep, the skin on the side, you know, they would paint, paint like this. Um, uh, Amarsolo was also known, you know, he was doing work for advertising. So if you're familiar with, uh, there's a brand of gin in the Philippines called Hiniebra San Miguel. And Hiniebra San Miguel has the, uh, image of Saint Michael battling with the devil, with Satan. So he, that was, but not many people know about this, this design work. Um, but 
he often also did portraits for officials. You know, he had a whole series of portraits done uh, on, on Philippine presidents, especially during the Commonwealth era. Uh, some artists kind of say, there's nothing really to see in a Morsolo, blah, 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 because um, he, he, he was uh, faking the, the, the reality uh, in the Philippines at that time. Uh, this was pre-war. But uh, the, uh, the, the Huk Balahap movement, which was, uh, 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 sorry, the, 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 the peasant unrest in the, in the central Philippines was, was brewing because of, uh, yeah. Um, I think the shares, I don't know, maybe the style, uh, uh, this, this kind of landscape painting is very much attributed to his uncle, uh, Fabian de la Rosa, who was called Master of Genre Painting. So there's a whole school of the Amorsolo painters uh, that, you know, so a lot of uh, paintings uh, were really kind of following this as models. So, so Alvin, what, what, what do you think uh, was sort of uh, stopping Amorsolo from kind of engaging with this tremendous uh, socio-cultural uh, shift no, that was happening? Uh, the same question can be posed with artists now in the Philippines with oh. the boom in the art market. Oh. If you go to, if you had the chance to experience the art fair, why do we see all these paintings that are beautiful paintings, well painted, but they don't really talk about what's happening in the country, you know, with you know, number 20,000 people already dead and as, as uh, you know, what do you call it, collateral damage and war on drugs. Mm. Um, same, I'm, my, my own take on, I haven't been around the Singapore Biennale, but I've seen a lot of Filipino works. Mm. <laughs> and, but I, I haven't seen a work that actually talks about what's happening now. So, so maybe, I don't know, why do artists choose to paint in a certain way and not the other. Mm. So Rizal did his take, you know, he wrote what he saw. Mm. He was true to it and it cost his life. And that's why I think he's, he's a role model. I, we don't, I don't want to lose my life, but um, mm. I wish if people, uh, if, if we can inspire others to speak, you know, and many people become kind of active, really. Mm. We, we, we mm. yeah, we're in a better place. I, I, I do wish that artists now, because this is what history is uh, asking of us at the moment, you know, uh, so many problems because the, the, the people hoped uh, that there was going to be fundamental change. I think what transpired in 1986, mm. uh, so we had the people power, you know, it was, it was a big celebration because after 20 years, you know, the dictator was out. And then now we find them back in to power. Uh, Bongo Marcos, the son, a former senator, expressed interest that he's going to run for the 2022 election. And now, two years ago, the Duterte government allowed the burial of Marcos at the Hero Cemetery. So which means uh, it's becoming apparent now, too, that uh, the Marcos has bankrolled the, uh, the campaign. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's, it's now happening again. I, I just had an exhibition at the Your Mother Gallery where I had some of my works on, on Imelda. And uh, uh, 
and uh, the Duterte government and how they are. Well, I, I want to conjure that they should be really in prison because they uh, they have crimes that they have to, you know, be accountable for. Uh, we still haven't uh, claimed the, the stolen wealth, 10 billion. But still, that's why they have power to do that. And they already in, in the... Uh, 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 doing the revision of history, you know, they Bongbong Marcos even had the audacity to claim that had Marcos uh, stayed, we could have been like Singapore. That's a, <laughs> so so they, they're really off their, you know, they're not really connected to what's happening on the ground. And slowly we we see we see the uh, Duterte government actually. Uh, Allowing, you know, the, the, the return of the Marcuses. He, he, he even claimed that, you know, he was his hero, mm. you know. So again, this faking, uh, you know, um, because during the martial years, we had lots of paintings, not landscapes, but modern art. I think in the exhibition... Uh, uh, Suddenly Yeah, it was showing that most of the avant-garde uh, uh, works were displayed in the state institution of the Cultural Center of the Philippines. And it, it justified maybe the, this new society that they were, you know, using uh, for propaganda. You know? uh, yeah. Maybe I can, uh, can have another question. Uh, yeah, almost out yes. of time, but yeah. Can I just try and connect this uh, landscape to what you were saying about um, images of Rizal and the sort of intellectuals that surrounded him? Was there a, an aspect of that intellectual arising associated with landscape portraits and using landscape to create an idea of nationhood and national identity? I, I can't uh, remember any work of artists of the same period, except in music. There was a, this was the second piano project I oh. did for the University of the Philippines. That project, when we first met, was based on Nicanor Abelardo. Yeah. And uh, uh, Nicanor Abelardo was considered a, uh, what do you call it, a modernist. But at the same time, grounded his uh, kind of his modern, you know, this... Uh, Compositions, uh, yeah, with with the compositions, you know, he he's similar to I think how uh, Chopin uh, used uh, traditional folk music, uh, folk mu Polish music, and then mixed it with like uh, you know uh, Western music, and so this this combination of things. I wouldn't say that Amor Solo because the painting tradition of the time actually started with the Spanish. So, but there was a contemporary, I think it was a contemporary Edades, uh, hmm. who, who was emerging. He was the one who was bringing in the, the, the new modern painting with uh, this impressionist uh, larger kind of, he still used figuration. We have works by Edades in a but, later uh, gallery. But later on that, that ushered in this new kind of uh, energy sure. in Philippine painting, challenging the they were part of the Amarsolo school, so they were the conservatives. So in the Philippines, in the 1950s, there was a strong kind of uh, a rivalry between the, the conservatives and the modernists, um, which I, I look again, it kind of resonates in the flag, because I think the flag, the red and the blue field, is always 
in the state of uh, what they call it stalemate. Mm. And, and, and I sometimes like to reimagine the making of a new flag. You know, the, the flag was basically also based on a, the uh, Puerto Rican, I think, Puerto Rican or the Cuban flag. So you have the triangle similar. and then the stripes. So similar in layout. But if we can reimagine the Philippine flag instead of splitting it in the middle, I would like to use the image of the woven mat. Mm. So woven mats are really part of the tradition. We even use it for our old uh, uh, outriggers as sails. So this was the material. And if we can split, for example, the flag into stripes, deconstruct it and weave it together, maybe the uh, uh, polarities of whether, you know, the rich and the poor and the strong and the weak, you know, and you wo wo uh, weave them together, will have a different configuration. The symbol of the triangle also already reflects that equality, but the split actually is a dividing line. So we have to go through the dividing line, and to do that, we cut it further, and then weave it, you know, make it connect. So alternating red, blue, red, blue, red, blue, red, blue, red, blue. Red, blue. Not just red or blue, because <laughs> if we stuck with that dynamic, even the uh, the, con the communist uh, sort of revolution is still stuck in in the red. Huh? And people are tired of fighting, you know. Uh, well, that's a that's a great note to uh, bring our session <laughs> to. Uh, uh, a conclusion. Um, uh, of course, Alan's around if you have questions after the session, but thank you uh, for joining us. So, uh, please join me uh, in, 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 in thanking uh, Alan. You have been listening to the Padang Sessions from National Gallery Singapore. Find more of our podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us for updates and new episodes every two weeks. To learn more about our programs at the gallery, visit nationalgallery.sg. Our podcast team is Erica Lai, Mariel Chi, Royan Ng, and Tamaris Goh from National Gallery Singapore. The music you heard is composed by Javon Chandra. I'm Joyce Chung. Thanks for listening.